The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Yeah, I would say like two days before I left, it was like, okay, this this is happening. Like, this is real. Uh, nothing's going to stop me at this point. And nothing has stopped Cassie Noble so far on this real tour in more than two years. The Cameron musical artist joins us later to talk about this oh-so-welcome return to doing what she loves most, performing live in front of audiences on an honest-to-goodness tour. Growing up with a family cottage, well, that's usually filled with all those loving, fuzzy family feelings and memories that just warm the cockles of the hearts of you and your siblings. But what happens when you and your siblings are all grown up and mom and dad want to bequeath that cottage? Lawyer Chris Award of Ward's Lawyers will tell us how and why it's wise to get it down on paper, all legal-like. And a place to cast and catch, but mostly reflect. And it's not a special fishing spot you'd expect. My name is Denny Gringell, and this is the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, the Summer Edition. Ah, the perfect fishing hole. You know the one, right? Kilometers off the main highway. You drive down a bumpy dirt road. You park your vehicle. Then you walk down a narrow footpath through some trees, probably. You come to that quiet, serene lake or stream or river. You cast your rod and you wait. The perfect way, the perfect place to fish, right? Uh, Not necessarily. I'm sure I've driven past this entrance a thousand times and never paid any attention to it. Is this your favorite spot or? See where that second set of locks are? Yes. So I come across there and fish up top and throw it down into into there. Okay, so what makes this a good spot to fish? It's an overcast day when Chris Morass and I head out to his favorite fishing spot, right under the Lindsay Street Bridge between Kent and Queen. Chris, in a t-shirt and ball cap, carrying his fishing gear, oozes happy-go-lucky. The kind of guy you want to hang out with at a barbecue where you might not feel you fit in, because he'll make you feel like you do fit in. So it's happy-go-lucky with a kind thoughtfulness, sometimes deep thoughtfulness, as you're going to hear. Hanging out with Chris in this most unlikely favorite fishing spot within earshot and eyesight of traffic and horns and not-so-quiet kids and grown-ups, you come to understand why this place means so much to him. With some music provided by Pierre Chartier, here is the story of Chris Morass's affinity for fishing in the middle of a city. What makes this a good spot to fish? Like, I, I, I'm not a fisher person, and I would see this and go, uh, there's too much going on. This, this well, is not a good spot. That's what you want, right? You want the water t- to be running so that the fish will come up and get oxygen and all the food and stuff because they swim against the current, right? Okay. So the locks themselves, if those are shut off, there's probably no fish in here. So when the locks open up, the, the fish seem to come up with, they follow the minnows in from the lake and the river. This seems so counterintuitive, though, because when I, 
I think, and I think most people who aren't fisher people, when, when they think of fishing, they think of a pristine lake. And, and here I am, I'm just underneath uh, the, the Lindsay Street Bridge. There's, uh, you know, there, there's traffic, there's, um, you know, people sitting over on park benches, there, there's noise. I, I, I do understand that. But the thing is, and on a day like today, it's a little bit overcast here. That's a good day because the sun and the brightness bother the fish that I fish for, which are typically walleye. They're, they're, they want to be a little bit deeper and they don't want to be out in the, in the sun affecting their eyesight. So this being, this is actually probably not a bad time to be over here. I do typically fish at night. Um, it seems to be a little bit better in the evening, a little bit cooler, a little darker, obviously. This is where I actually learned how to fish. My grandfather lived, right now we're behind the Legion in Lindsay, and my grandfather, lived uh, at 6 Peel Street which is just basically up the hill here behind us so he would walk up and down this boardwalk for hours on end just trolling up and down taking his his blue rapella and which is uh, looks like an oversized minnow for those of you that don't fish those of you do fish know what a rapella is that's what I'm looking at right now actually you're looking at I use it what they call a power bait on a, a quarter inch jig head and uh, that seems to work uh, the New technology with most of the baits have come a long ways. Back when my grandfather was fishing, rapella was pretty much the only thing, or worms, minnows, which I do use. I use live minnows on occasion. I trap my own. I like to think I, I have a, a pretty good idea of the footprint of this town and all of its nooks and crannies. And I'm, I'm already seeing parts of the city here differently from a different angle than I normally would. Like I can see Van Halterns over there and I've walked in front of there and driven past there but I see it differently now. So what's it like for you when you come out here? I, I like to reminisce here, like because my grandfather's been gone for quite a while, I can remember being a kid and this boardwalk wasn't here. You could actually drive your car literally to the edge of the river. I don't know, there's friends down here that I fish with that I've known for a long time. It's just, it's, it's a place to relax. If I catch fish, that's great. If I don't, you know what? It's a night out or a day out, just enjoying good conversation and getting a little bit of exercise it's a place where I grew up I grew up on this side of town so you know with my dad and uh, my uncle Randy Robinson taught me a lot how to fish my grandfather as well you know it just it, it it's good memories I'm curious because you're only what maybe a kilometer two kilometers from your actual home yes in, in footsteps but in your mind like in when, when you're down here how far away do you feel just in your mind from your home and from family and, and obligations all that stuff they just go away it's not really a distance thing it's just it's not here it gives my wife a little bit of a break because I'm home all the time so she gets to do do her thing at home and I get to come down here for a couple hours it could be three hours it could be all night for other people it's uh conversation. I know an older fella that come down here and he might bring his rod and reel and never put a line in the water. He just likes to come down and this is his his Tim Hortons or McDonald's for a coffee. And there's always seems to be somebody down here like you look up there's guys fishing up right at the locks themselves. Over here yeah. You know so there's always somebody here. There's a little guy and his dad coming down. He's probably going to stop and want to check out what we're doing here but I enjoy it. 
Um, being from Lindsay, you always seem to meet somebody, maybe somebody walking on the boardwalk or, you know, it might be somebody even driving by on the bridge and they honk the horn because they know I'm down here. It's really a stress relief for me. You've described a whole bunch of things right now, Chris, that have nothing to do with the actual catching of fish. <laughs> so how important is that compared to the actual reeling something in? Not really. No? Not to me. Um, I mean, at one time it was. At one time I'd be very disappointed when I came down here if I didn't catch something. But with um, having an illness last year in August, it's, it's put a different perspective on things. I had uh, what they call a brain bleed. So I spent about a month last August in Kingston in intensive care. And uh, to be quite honest, it was touch and go for a little while. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And uh, I have some residual effects. I have a little bit of uh, weakness on my left side. and My uh, memory isn't great sometimes. So this is really relaxing. It's something that I can do and, and not be too much of a physical strain. So. And there's no pressure to catch anything? Not anymore. There was at one time, but I, I don't worry about that too much anymore. If I catch fish, great. If I don't, just another day. this experience like now for you compared to before the illness? Well before I would be wanting to wanting and coming down to want to catch a fish that's not the thing anymore the thing is just basically getting out of the house for a couple <laughs> couple of hours you know enjoying being outside. If I came to you this morning Chris and I said listen we can come over here to this spot that you know very well and you have a long relationship with or I can drive an hour up to the core of the highlands and we can find a nice quiet lake I think I'd come here because I'm familiar with what's here. Like I know how deep the water is. I know where most of the, the fish might be. Um, not that going up to a lake would be something that I wouldn't mind doing. It's just, it's not, it's not really my thing. And I've got some awards. The Ontario Federations of Anglers and Hunters over in Peterborough offer some angling awards for certain size fish and certain size um, species so in order to be what they call a, a master angler you need five awards in different five different categories and right now I have four so so it's not just about respite and calm you're in here for there's a bit of glory and there is yeah you can brag a bit Thursday night this past Thursday night and caught a 27 inch walleye and the guys go oh look at the size of that fish that's a great fish and not only to see it but to land it like to get it on shore and take a picture well some guys go will go an hour north and or wherever and, and not catch any fish to me you have so much locally like you're 20 minutes to Bob Cage and you're 20 minutes to Fenland Falls you don't need to drive an hour north within a half an hour distance going north east west south you're going to hit 15 lakes and tributaries. There's so many different species in the water here. We have crappy, we have smallmouth bass, we have walleye. You know, a dad can come down here and try and catch muskie, and a kid right 10 feet beside him can catch a rock bass, and they're both happy. You know, even for the kids here beside us that are fishing with some corn corn niblets on their, on their line, they're going to catch some rock bass or some maybe some bluegills. So there's something for everybody. Lift up your hook. She doesn't have anything on there. Oh. I think she knocked it off when she cast it in. Yeah, I see that they don't have it.
when you've been out here on a day that started out maybe stressful or just a lot going on and you're out here for two hours and maybe you haven't caught anything how do you feel when you get home it's just you know there's still that calmness now i might have something stressful the next day but you know what i might go fishing the next day My thanks to Chris Morass. I had a lot of fun hanging out with him there at his favorite fishing spot. You know, I think I'm going to refer to him now as Lindsay's deep thinking, thoughtful fisherman. Look for Chris under the bridge on Lindsay Street right across from Celebrations. He'll be the fella looking totally in his element. And a special thank you going out to Pierre and Artemis Chartier for supplying the music to accompany my chat with Chris. Isn't it perfect? The good people at Ward's Lawyers have made this show possible for each and every one of our 59 episodes as our exclusive sponsor. If you're in need of a lawyer, well, they've got you covered. Visit them at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast and our parent, The Advocate Magazine, well, we're both 100% local media. In the July issue of the magazine, you'll find an extensive feature researched and written by Denise Waldron. In it, you'll learn how to protect your home and property from thieves when you're away on vacation. Pick up your copy across Gorth Lakes, including the General Store in Bethany and the Norland Public Library. Hey, you listening to our show right now from the cottage, maybe? Your cottage? Or maybe it's your family cottage, as in the cottage your parents bought or built and still own. Wondering if there will come a time when that beloved family cottage is bequeathed to one of you, or maybe all of you will be sharing it equally. So how might that work in a fair, equitable way? Well, you're in luck, because we have some... Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's words of wisdom. The last time we met with lawyer Carissa Ward of Ward's Lawyers here in Lindsay, we discussed the transfer of the family farm. So it seems only fitting that we should seek her legal expertise when it comes to the cottage changing hands within a family. Carissa Ward is sitting across from me here in the offices of Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay. Hello again, Carissa. Good morning, Denny. With cottages in your experience, how often are parents turning it over to more than just one child? Um, I think a lot of people come in with the idea that perhaps that's what they will do, but once talking through some of the issues, they decide that maybe that's not so much a practical. It's like a business arrangement. If you're going to own a cottage with more than one person, it's a business arrangement. And a lot of times with family, the kids aren't intending to own, enter into a business arrangement with their siblings. There's a lot of practical issues that don't work so well when multiple parties own a cottage that are siblings, mainly based on where they live, how much time they're able to access the cottage, their different financial situations, the interest of the spouse or their children in using the cottage, different ideas around how the cottage should be used. Is it a party place? Is it a place that you go and have reflection and quiet moments? But when you have two or more 
you know, people owning with different ideas and everybody shows up at the same time. And I was hoping to go up there and read my book this weekend. And, and suddenly we've got 20 people partying on the dock that might lead to some, you know, conflict. So sometimes what we end up doing is dealing with siblings that have now inherited the cottage. They come looking for direction or advice around either some issues are cropping up or they realize that, you know what, we need to work out and put something down on paper as to how all this is going to work. Or we're working on an estate where the cottage is being transferred to a number of siblings and it's our recommendation that they enter into some sort of agreement. So a co-ownership agreement or cottage ownership agreement or cottage agreement. If you never talk about anything and everybody goes into an arrangement of owning something together without some level of discussion, there's often misunderstandings about what I was expecting to do in this situation and what you were expecting to bring to the table or use or how it was all going to work. So one of the immediate benefits of kind of engaging someone to help you draft an agreement is identifying what each party hopes to get out of this arrangement together. So there's issues around do we rent or do we not rent the cottage? Rent it out you mean? Yes with the expectation that well I I was expecting to rent it so we could have some money to pay for some of the costs associated. Is that a necessary improvement? I want a roof. Well I want a steel roof and I want shingles because that's cheaper. Who's doing the work? Who cleans the cottage? Who's opening? Who's taking out the dock? Are we expecting everybody shows up on the Thanksgiving weekend to help tidy up and put things away? Or is it, you know, all falling to one of the parties to do that? Is that recognized or is it just happening that way? So those are some of the issues as well as, yeah, the financial management of it. How are we contributing to the cost? How do we make a decision about how we're spending that money on the cottage? Is there someone that's using it more than maybe they should be paying more of the cost? I was going to get into that because as people fan out and you have that cottage that is on the back door of one sibling and the other one maybe lives two provinces away. So what happens in an instance or what could happen to just make it equitable and fair between the siblings? You know, there's no golden rule or it's it's more about customizing, getting that that expectation or that issue on the table and identifying a way to do it that makes sense for everybody based on their financial abilities and, again, their expectations. So if I'm paying more than we're putting in writing that, okay, but I do get 60% of the time up there, however it's going to work for that family. But there's no hard and fast rule as to how to make it equitable. It really depends on the parties, so it requires some discussion. Yeah, most of the work that we do would be dealing with drafting the agreement to begin with. So hopefully before there's too much conflict. At the other end of the spectrum, often when there's no agreement and now one party wants to sell or it's not working so well, then we're, yeah, we're negotiating usually a buyout at that time. Lesson there Deal with it at the outset rather than waiting till things get a little bit sidetracked or go sideways. A breakdown or a dispute can be eventually resolved. It might be costly with lawyers, unfortunately, but it can be resolved. But the very big downside is a breakdown in the family relationships that happen there. And that was certainly, I don't think mom and dad, when they left the cottage, expected that the kids would never talk to each other again. That certainly wasn't their plan. Have you seen that happen quite a bit? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's just uh, like anything else, even in an estate without a cottage, it can lead to a breakdown in relationships. So a little bit of planning at the outset, even with the parents, sometimes the agreement will, the uh, estate plan will specify 
I want to leave the cottage to my kids, but I want them to enter into an agreement. So it's kind of already contemplated that they're going to do that. But there's lots of other options. A lot of times that's not, you know, you don't want to leave the cottage after you think about it to all the kids. So then what do you do? And there's options there around structuring, you know, a lottery system of who gets to own the cottage. And, or maybe it's already quite known that um, one person uses it and likes it more than the rest. And maybe it's a natural fit that that's the person that will receive the cottage with the other kids balancing off that asset with other assets in the estate. Well, credit to, to the siblings who do seek some kind of legal document to map this out. Because again, I, I think it would be easy for children to go, oh, these are all happy memories. We'll just figure it out. Yeah, so, so when they sit across from you and say, hey, we all get along great. We think this is going to work out well. Let's draft something. What's the one thing that you would uh, advise them to do when they're mapping that out? Things that they may not have considered. It's really, when you're, when you're preparing an agreement like that, it's really important to get people's expectations flushed out, right? So that's the lawyer's job is to kind of present the what-ifs and the issues that then get them thinking about, well, okay, this is the way I would expect we would deal with that. Lawyer gets the issues out there, collects up the objectives of the parties, and then presents them with options of how it should, could work. And then it's a matter of agreeing on what that looks like. How often do people come to you and say, okay, our situation has changed. I realized I'm not going to be using the cottage anywhere near as much as I did. My kids don't like it. I'm thinking of moving. Maybe there's a, a, a relationship breakdown. How often will people come to you and say, we need to have this document amended now? Usually, if that happens, the, if the agreement was drafted properly, there's already a mechanism to deal with those situations. So it's similar to any kind of business agreement, like a shareholders agreement or a partnership agreement. There's kind of two parts. One is the day-to-day -day operations and how that's going to be managed. And then there's the longer-term succession of what happens if there's a change in circumstances. If someone dies, should I be owning it with the spouse of my brother? The agreement would, con would contain buy-sell provisions that would then give an avenue to exit in favor of both parties. So, so essentially you're creating a what if page or pages in this entire contract. Exactly. Yeah. So it would, it would contain a formula that would say, this is how we're going to value the cottage at that particular time. This is how you would get paid out, whether it's over five years or immediately or whatever the, the parties all agree on earlier when nobody is in the position of buying or selling, right? So now it's a little bit more balanced because if I'm agreeing to provisions, I know that I'm either going possibly be the buyer or I could be the seller. So I'm more likely to be balanced and fair than if we're 10 years down the road and now I want to be bought out and you're going to buy me out and now we're fighting about how we value the cottage, how long I'm going to get paid, those kind of things. Carissa Ward is a lawyer and co-owner of Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, which is also the official sponsor of our program. If you're seeking legal advice on the cottage transfer and for all your legal needs, really, reach out to Carissa and her team at wardlegal.ca. Hi, I'm Christopher Sweetman from Lindsay, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Strong enough to hold you up with my bare hands 
This is the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes, the summer edition. You're also listening to the music of Cassie Noble and a song called Brave. my emotions. I can't pretend I'm not afraid of all my fears, but I will weather any... Cassie is back home now in Cameron for a short stretch before she heads back on the road. She's been on a summer tour, and we're not just talking about those shows within a few hours drive and then you come home. No, Cassie has, in the past few months, graced stages in Atlantic Canada, Quebec, and New England. She will be closer to home in the coming weeks, Uxbridge, July 22nd, and Baileyboro, July 28th. That's a show I'm going to be at. So, yeah, I kind of returned to normal for a singer-songwriter whose life and livelihood relies on real touring. Cassie joins me now from her home in Cameron. Hey, Cassie, welcome back to the program. Hi, Denise. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I got to ask you, as a performer, how can you best describe now compared to when we last spoke on your deck back at your house when we were meters apart? How do, how do you compare those <laughs> that, that two-year span? Gosh, that seems so long ago, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, How come? Because yeah. many people would say that, gosh, you know, I don't know if we have, have we made any headway, but as a performer, you, you would see things differently. So why does it seem so long ago? Things feel so much more normal now. And, you know, that's not the case everywhere and for everyone. But being able to play these shows and perform live and um, and just meet people in real life, you know, is I've missed it so much. And it's been so amazing to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the biggest difference yeah. for me. What expectations had you set out for yourself before you went out on this tour, given everything, the uncertainty of everything? Mm. Honestly, this is this is going to sound so lame, but my the expectations that I set were to have fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound that doesn't sound lame. That sounds uh, maybe setting the bar a bit low, but but it sounds like <laughs> you could reach those expectations more easily. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like this is this is something that I love to do and that's why I do it. I'm just following my heart here. Yeah, I mean, especially after having, you know, tours canceled before um, and, and all that. When I was planning this, I just, yeah, I just wanted to do whatever I could basically and, and go wherever I could and, and meet whoever I could um, and, and yeah, share my music as much as possible. Was there ever a moment of uncertainty, Cassie, in that, okay, is this really going to happen this time? And you're a little cautious. <laughs> there was. Um, I started planning this tour about six months ago um, or longer, I guess, in de like December. And that's when we had like another mini, you know, little lockdown thing. And it got a little bit harder to start booking. People were still unsure. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I definitely doubted, you know, can I do this yet? Is this actually the right time? It's just so special. It's just so special when, when you can, you know, travel and do something that you love at the same time and have people there supporting you that, that don't know you. Um, yeah, it's just so special. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, I, it's one thing to do a live show close to home. And, you know, I saw you at the Pie-Eyed Monk and, and then there was the hometown hockey event at uh, the rec center. 
But being able to do that show and then you can you can go back home, you know, you're literally that day to the comfort and the familiarity of, of your own home. But given everything you've gone through, how far away did those stages in PEI in New Brunswick feel when you were actually on stage performing? They felt very close. You know, I always felt super welcome everywhere that I went. And I was shown such hospitality um, by the people around me. And, you know, I was given temporary homes to, to stay at. And, you know, I never really felt far away. Hmm. I felt like I was part of whatever community I was in at the time. I've spoken to other live performers who, who've said that even, how do I put this, in, in this time, it, it almost felt like as welcoming as people could be, it felt even more so this time around. Did you experience any of that? Was I'm just wondering how that welcome mm -hmm. feeling compared to what it would have been when Cassie was touring five years ago, let's say. Um, you know, I don't feel like I have a really great comparison for that because when I was touring before, uh, I was with a rock band. And so I think the, the amount of hospitality or the type of hospitality we would receive would be a little different. Um, me traveling solo or, you know, with Warren, just one other person. Warren, Warren Frank, right? Warren Frank, yes. Um, I, I think the hospitality feels a little bit different. People are maybe more willing to open themselves up to you. Um, just because you're not a rock band that, <laughs> you know, they're not worried you're going to destroy their house. I think I do get that impression that people have been sort of, um, you know, wanting this, waiting for this, for whether it's live music or just the connection to, to other humans um, uh, and, and more hungry for that community. Tell me about that first show you did, Cassie, outside of Ontario when you walked on stage and strummed those first few chords and, and sang those first few bars. What, what was that like for you? Oh, wow. Um, Hudson, Quebec, and it was at a brewery. I don't know, sometimes when I play a brewery, I, I have fairly low expectations for what the crowd is gonna be like, how receptive they're gonna be. You know, they're busy, they're drinking beer. And wow, they were so, so receptive to our music and, and so attentive. And on this particular evening, it was very cloudy and stormy outside and we had the garage door open and you know moody string lights and just the whole setting just oh my gosh i don't know how to describe in words how how special that felt um and that that crowd that night actually encored me which was the first ever encore i've ever received as a solo artist so Oh, wow. Yeah. The first the first show of the tour was um, really special, really, really a great way to 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 begin it. I can tell you're getting choked up just even bringing yourself back there to that moment. I get the sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I get emotional. I'm a, an emotional person. <laughs> well, you're a singer songwriter. You're supposed to be emotional. <laughs> I would think that comes with the territory. Now, I, I know a lot of your shows are in the United States as well. And that the and in any time, there is a cultural difference between the the two countries. I'm just wondering what it was like for you on stage performing in, in the United States, given everything that's gone on there. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't think it would be so different. Uh, it was really interesting to 
to notice the differences. It was little things. I would, I would, uh, you know, bring up an artist that I listened to a lot that I've, you know, grown up with, like Matthew Good, for example, and you know, no one there had ever heard of him. Mm. <laughs> and you know, something I didn't realize was just Canadian. A few things that I would say when I was speaking on stage and people would just kind of give me this blank stare. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you, you guys don't know about that here? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I would say I tried to, I didn't say too much as far as, you know, um, political things go because you, you never know. But I also did perform at places that I know are, you know, accepting open spaces. Um, so I didn't feel like I had to either. Where are you right now, mentally, emotionally, all spiritually, all that? Uh, I'm still on tour. <laughs> Even though I'm home for a couple of days, I feel like I'm still on the road. I'm still kind of in go mode. I'm taking things one day at a time. You know, I've got my little itinerary of where I need to be and when, but it's it's all sort of this vague plan. You did say that uh, you would graciously allow us to close out our chat with a song, but I'm going to let you choose it. So maybe if you can choose the song and tell uh, tell us a little bit about it. My song, Medicine. And, and that's a song that I don't often go back to. I don't listen to it often. I don't usually play it live. And I don't know why. It just sort of, you know, fell out of my rotation, I guess. But... Thinking about that song, it's really about finding yourself in other people, you know, and in, in the kindness of other people. And that's something that I'm really relating to a lot right now, you know, after, well, during this tour. Um, it's just, yeah, finding kindness in people and finding pieces of myself within them. Um, so yeah, I'd like to, to play medicine. I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone in the woods with happy ghosts. Madness, madness, madness creeping up past my toes. Stars like fireflies, fireflies. Watching from a blanket of air But I'm not, I'm not I'm not done laying here I'm not going anywhere I'm not, I'm not I'm not going anywhere Feel free to keep me company As I slip into myself Let me treat you like my antidote I'll treat you like someone I know Feel free to keep me company As I feel free I float around, float around With beauty spilling over every step 
only fault that I've intentionally kept And I ache, I ache from feeling everything Trying not to As I slip into myself Let me treat you like my medicine I'll treat you like my only sin Feel free to keep me company As I feel free From her 2019 album, Find A Way, that is Medicine by Cassie Noble, an artist I've seen perform live a number of times in and around Corth Lakes, and I will again in Baileyboro on July 28th. Always a joy to watch Cassie and take in such smart, thoughtful lyrics. Cassie is currently on tour. You can get those dates and buy her music at CassieNoble.com. Our show's music, the theme, and the musical bridges are courtesy of Gerald Van Halteren, great musician, great music teacher. Our show's official sponsor is Ward's Lawyers. They have you covered no matter your legal needs. Find out what the team at Ward's, led by Carissa Ward, can do for you at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Corth Lakes, is written, produced, and hosted by Denis Grignel. Hey, that's me. Please reach out to us on our Facebook page, appropriately called The Advocate Podcast. Our Twitter handle is Advocate Podcast. Subscribe to us for free and please rate us on whatever streaming platform you use. Your ratings help other people to find us and that helps to ensure our continued growth. If you want to wear a mask, go for it. And if you don't, please respect those of us who do. We're back in two weeks. 